Hello, and welcome to These Are the Days of Our Podcast, where we celebrate the silly, strange, and spectacular days of the year. I'm Jen. And I'm Lisa. And we're talking about crafts, which is celebrated in the whole month of March. A whole month? Not a day. March is Crafts Month, and Crafts Month is really about embracing and celebrating all of these little hobbies that keep you occupied and bring you joy on gloomy gray days. And let's talk about it, especially in the context of the pandemic. I think that uh, this strong resurgence of craft life is really something to think about pandemic-wise, and also... When we think about conspiracy theories for, you know, the pandemic in general, do, is there a strong case for the Craft and Hobby Association being the masterminds of this? Because basically we've been stuck in our house. Absolutely not. <laughs> this is like full Absolutely not. <laughs> How much lobbying power do you think they have? I don't know. You just don't. I actually looked this up and they weren't founded until 1971. So I feel like, you know, it's such an old thing, but like, I just don't know if they have that like historical lobbying power. They may not have the political clout to shut down the entire world and force us into our homes and back into making crafts. But I'm just saying that's an obvious joke because the virus is real. You know, let's wash our hands and and <laughs> wear masks, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, but yeah. So, what sort of crafty crafts have uh, kept you uh, occupied this pandemic season? Um, that's a good question. I did get into felting. I felted a pillow that looks um like a group of seven painting. Well, it's like copying a group of seven painting, um, an Ay Jackson painting. Can you mention what your husband said about the pillow and the public display of craft materials? Oh, he said, even if it's ugly, you have to display it. And he was very surprised that it wasn't really ugly. <laughs> yeah, he was very surprised. I'm very impressed. He's like, it's not that... even that ugly. I'm amazed. Just yeah, supportive husbanding. I would almost call nice. I would almost call it a nice pillow. And, you know, it got, I'm going to check, and it had, like, pretty good amount of Instagram likes. Well, there we go. More Instagram likes than this podcast has listened. Guys, more lessons, more likes. So, more in terms of my craft pandemic, COVID crafting, it's not necessarily a specific project, but it's really the sheer volume of crafting that I've done that is more the notable thing. So, I've made five blankets, three sweaters at least a dozen headbands and pairs of slippers. And as I'm an 87-year-old granny, I have had periods of time at which I crafted so much that I had repetitive strain injury and I needed to take a break from knitting because like I couldn't stop knitting, but my like hands were broken. I like that <laughs> this is why your Google ads told you you were 65 years old yes. and were like super incorrect. <laughs> This is like actually so offensive. 
<laughs> yeah, if you go to adsettings.google.com and I think your ad personalization has to be on, but like normally, I mean, I think it is automatically on unless you're like good at the internet and know how to turn off your cookies and things. But like mine's really accurate. It says I'm like um, 30 to 34 years old. I'm female. My first language is English, has all the things I like, except for Jen said that it was, she was 65. So mine is wildly inaccurate. (laughs) And I am literally the only person I've ever heard that Google isn't right about. And mine is 65 plus, has children and grandchildren. It does say that I'm female, but I'm just like, there is definitely something with my algorithm (laughs) that is wildly incorrect. Um, I did have a period of time that I was getting some like, silver senior dating ads so (laughs) that's a that's a thing that happens if uh maybe if you craft too much (laughs) actually oh yeah mine knows that i'm married oh my god that's creepy mine are so good and mine says parental status not apparent oh my god how does it know how does it not know i have a dog though it like thinks i like cats To clarify, you don't not like cats. You just don't. Well, my body doesn't like cats. They make me sneeze. Yes, of course. That's the real issue here. But some of them are really cute. I have to give them that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about crafts now that uh, we've established all of that important background information on us. Um, So one of the things I wanted to talk about was what craft thing do you like or is quite cool? I got my mom a really good Mother's Day gift. Because I'm in the UK, I, and we're in a pandemic, I obviously don't know how to recognize time, but Mothering Sunday is in like two days. And then I was like, oh, well, I'll celebrate Mothering Sunday and not Mother's Day in May in Canada because then... I only have to remember one and all the advertisements in the world will tell in the UK will tell me it's it's Mothering Sunday. Like your Google ads. Like my Google ads. But did my Google ads follow through? No, they didn't. So I only just found out that it's like Mothering Sunday in like a couple days, I think. Either the Sunday next Sunday. Not enough time to ship anything to Canada for any parent, any mother out there. Um, but I did get my mom something super cool in which I then instantly told her about it. So whatever. She, <laughs> I mean, it's going to be a while before she gets such it. a ruiner. Yeah. I love ruining surprises. So this, um, artisan does your flowers from every, um, like the flower of your birth month. And then she makes a pretty bouquet bouquet with your family's flowers. So I, and we'll write their name like really pretty and like calligraphy right next after like the flowers are made. So it's like, is it a painting? Is it a cross stitch? print. Like it's like, she's done a really beautiful print. And so it has carnations for January for my mom then it has Lily of the Valley Valley for May from Matthew. And it has Gladys's for two Gladys's for me and Kristen. And Gladiolus. Aster, pardon? It's Gladiolus. Oh, Gladiolus. Okay. The August flower. Yeah, August flower for Kristen and I. And Aster for Andrew in September. A marigold for Alicia in October. A chrysanthemum for Mark in November. And then Holly for my dad in December. And it's like this beautiful bouquet. 
It's a beautiful bouquet of Henry's. Yeah, Just Henry Sparks is so about so <laughs> You know, she's a Henry now, so it's fine. So I want to tell you probably about what I would consider one of the more epic crafts that I've done in my life. And it's not because it's the most technically advanced. It's because of the level of commitment that I feel I brought to the whole situation. And this is the Dynamus nativity scene that I made a few years ago. So oh, yeah, because I had... made your first dinosaur. Yes. It was, was a gift to you. <laughs> exactly. So I had received a, a beautiful dinosaur from Lisa, and that sparked the idea that I should make an entire nativity scene entirely out of dinosaurs. So I bought bags of plastic dinosaurs and painted them silver and gold and then dressed them up to be all of the characters in the nativity from a T-Rex wise men holding sparkling jewels to a heavenly host of pterodactyls. It was really excellent down to the toothpick manger where cheese pop wrapped in tin foil baby Jesus lay. So I think that this is one of my finer crafting moments because of the commitment that I brought to the crafting experience. My, yeah, and I think my gold dino I gave you was Joseph? I mean, he's pretty No, big. no. It was a pretty big dinosaur. So it was actually the dinosaur that held the Star of David over oh. top of the manger scene. So it was pretty central to the entire situation. Yeah, yeah like yeah. a pretty big deal. <laughs> so in terms of the history of crafts, why don't you just do that? do a bit of like where it came from yeah so I was just looking a bit about like the history of crafts and it's like one of those weird things where it's like it's obviously used to be an occupation in the middle ages okay I'm I'm just talking about Great Britain here um maybe Northern Ireland and Ireland here you can't go be far beyond that but it was like it obviously used to be you know someone's actual occupation to make these goods and then it became more of a hobby and I was like oh, that must have been something to do with the um you know 19- rise of the aristocracy yeah or like even yeah like the rise of the middle class and um like the arts and crafts movement in like the the 19th century and for like you know you think like women to be like Victorian women who would have who would have to be like good at needlepoint and like all these certain things to be considered like a lady in society. And I was like, is it from an excessive amount of free time that this stuff became really popular or like why? But I think there's a difference between because some of it that we consider crafts now was really utilitarian, where people used to have to sew their own clothes or create or actually hand make weave baskets. Now, if someone were to make a basket, that would be completely optional because you could just go to any store. Oh, I think that's 100% true. Like anything in the the art history canon is like has a hierarchy, including like, so like anything, of course, if you're looking at the broader one, you would have painting and sculpture at the top and um, arts and crafts and like furniture and all that stuff is at the bottom. But even within them, the whole idea of like Victorian England and what women did, it was like, now you would say like woodworking, ceramics, glass, textiles, metals, you, I would consider those like 
artisans and they're pretty sought after like handmade goods now but back then it would be like well no that's an occupation that's not like a mm-hmm. a craft or like an um coming from any sort of art and i was like it's just a really interesting concept for people that this how these hobbies came about i guess it's like how did mm-hmm. any hobby come about where did the idea of hobbies come from Let's get to the I think that you're absolutely right in the basis in the emergence of leisure time and the idea that you should have spare time. So you're not just dawn to dusk working on your feet, working the fields, you know, working endlessly. And the I think I don't know what year leisure time started to come, what era that was, but I think that corresponded to the start of like the industrial revolution when the start of things being mechanized. So we didn't have to necessarily work a hundred percent of the time. That's my theory. We could probably look this up and confirm or deny, but we're just going to chat. I know a lot about crafts, but I don't know a lot about craft history. So, you know, we might be completely wrong. But I do have a really interesting story from craft history. And it's from the 1800s when, uh, so I was at this art exhibition about um, art and mental illness and the arts and insanity and that connection. And there's this woman in the 1800s who was um, admitted to an asylum in the UK. Her name was Mary Frances Heaton. And she was suffering from, quote unquote, delusions of having an affair with Lord Seymour. Um, And so she basically would tell people that she was having this affair. She was a teacher. And he was just like, no, that gal beat Cray. And so she got committed to this asylum and she remained there for 36 years. And she maintained that she's like, she's like, I'm not having delusions. This is actually a thing that happened. And so over the years, what she did was she just would sew these really intricate embroidery samples that actually accounted her version of the events. She wrote a huge letter to Queen Victoria protesting her confinement in the asylum, all via cross-stitch, and basically persistently over the 36 years just created this huge amount of like cross-stitch embroidery work. Obviously, they were allowed to you know, have an arts and crafts session at the mental institution. And she used this as a way of like, of actually reclaiming her voice. And she's like, I've been silenced. This is unjust, but I'm going to share my story. And so while we don't know that much about her life in general, or many women from the 1800s, we do have these like amazing samplers and these extensive letters uh, to Queen Victoria, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, that's really cool. I would definitely, yeah, that does bring up like um, yarn bombing, which is like almost like activism in the crafts movement. Yes. So um, Betsy Greer has coined the term craftivism. 
And that is this idea of using crafts for the greater good. And she wrote a book called Knitting for Good. And she basically describes that every time we knit or make crafts or whatever, we have the possibility of creating positive change for ourselves, for our community, and for the world. And so it's quite interesting the ways that people have been crafting for good and I think that there's been some really good examples of that in the pandemic as well, particularly with the Black Lives Matter movement, when a lot of people were staying at home, but they wanted to show their support for these big societal movements. You would see people posting paintings and like fabric crafts, etc., in their front windows so that people could see their support for important movements. And I thought that was like quite cool to see the number of uh, crafts that would come up to be to be some kind of activism. Yeah, yeah. Well, I wanted to go back to yarn bombing because I think, again, this is something that we first encountered when we were living in Toronto. So the only thing I really have to say about yarn bombing is that, yes, it looks cool for maybe, if it's not raining, a day. And then it gets gross and dirty. And then you're like, but so then what's like the environmental implications of that yarn like there? So they're going to have to like cut it off and like just throw in the garbage. Like all of that stuff is um, not, not nylon, like polyester. Yeah. Like, microplastics. Let's talk. Yeah, and then it's just like, I get it. It's kind of cool. And like, I get it as an art artistic movement or but then you don't have like a proper disposal of it and also I just think it's actually kind of gross because it's just like dirty I actually kind of agree with you so the intention of yarn bombing is sometimes called gorilla knitting is the idea it's it's (laughs) like we're really pushing our boundaries here of like you know participation in like social activism and like what we would call guerrilla yes. activism. Guerrilla knitting is, is very an interesting term, but it's supposed to be part of the graffiti scene and it's said to feminize the graffiti scene by personalizing and like softening public spaces. But one of the words that's often used is like these sterile, cold public spaces, but especially now that we're increasingly aware of like how gross public spaces are. I like having some sterile aspects to my public space. And I completely agree. Like very quickly, these yarn bombing installations get really gross. (laughs) So in some ways I like the idea, but it's. Yeah, I can see, I like totally see what you're saying about how it's like a female gaze on the, um like urban graffiti mm-hmm. which is art. pretty male dominated most of it, I would say but... the graffiti scene yeah and then and I totally get it but you just also have to be less gross <laughs> I agree and like I understand that it can make a political statement but sometimes if a lot of things that make political statements can have a uh, I would say like negative unforeseen consequence when we talk about the microplastics or the environmental impact of improperly stored waste. There, I think there's a bigger conversation about, you know, putting a sign in your window is very passive activism. And so to say that 
this is any sort of political stance is like kind of pushing it. And the well, I think actually we can think about the broader impact, and that's probably off topic from crafting. But when we think about passive activism or armchair activism, and when we think about what the actual impact in terms of changing policies and social trends, it's questionable. But um, anyways, so I wanted to say, though, that it's interesting, because I think that we've touched on a number of different themes that crafting, which seems so light and fairy, actually connects with so many social movements. So we've already talked about feminism, we've talked about like, aesthetics. So there's like cottage core and hoogie aesthetics. There's the slow fashion trend, which um, when I've been making these big, giant, chunky knit sweaters, and um, they, they actually take weeks for me to make. And so that's by definition, slow fashion, where you have a little bit more thought and care into your garments. And then there's also some really interesting creators that use upcycled and recycled uh, fabrics and materials to make their crafts. So it kind of connects with the environmental movement as well. Um, So I think that you can view crafting from this really big lens, but you could also view it from like a much simpler and more delightful lens. And I think at its core, the reason why I love crafting is I think it can be a vehicle for delight. And that would be how I would best like to describe why I like to craft. I It's so hard to, like, why do you like the things you like? Like, how do you argue preference, you know, in anything? If, for me, crafts are just a part, for whatever reason, I just like doing them. And like, I guess the act of creating something um, that you can enjoy and be like, yeah, I did that. Or, you know, (laughs) like Andrew said, it doesn't look like a piece of poo. So you can display it and you'd be like, and someone would be like, oh, that's cool. You're like, yeah, I made that. I made that from scratch. Yeah, You know, I have some creative artistic talent deep inside me. So I like it for that part. I absolutely agree. And as I'm like an academic who spends a lot of time reading and typing, there is this idea uh, among people that have these sorts of like roles that you just sometimes want to dig a ditch. You just sometimes want to have something that you put energy into and you can see the results from. And I think a lot of us who spend our days responding to emails or reading documents, you don't really necessarily feel like you have that thing to show for all of the time and effort. But if I sit down for a couple of hours with a craft, then I actually have something to show for that time. And it feels in that way, I think is really soothing this need for me to feel like I'm being productive, but also just doing something just for the joy of it or just for no purpose at all. I did want to share my favorite example of how crafts can spread delight, and it's the Anonymous work. I don't even know and so in 2016, in 2016, there were these like tiny little things that were popping up in Malmö, which is in southern Sweden, and they were like little tiny handmade, meticulously detailed storefronts that were mouse sized and they were like 
barber shops and restaurants and record stores. And they were just like appearing and nobody really knew where they came from. And they were so like detail oriented. There'd be little tiny rolls of bread or the records would be mouse themed and have tons of mouse puns. And so this there was a website that came up that said that this is work by Anonymous and it's a loose uh, network of mice and men working together. <laughs> and it's just like these tiny little cute vignettes that are just so delightful. And I think that is one of the best expressions of what craft can do is it can just add some like charm and delight in unexpected ways and unexpected places. And I just think that that's so fun. And I'll definitely include the link to the um, Met uh, Metropolitan Museum did a, a piece on it. I'll put it in the show notes because it's just so cute. And I just want more anonymous in my life. Yeah. Why are miniature things so cute? I don't know. Oh my goodness. Adorable. So we need to get back to our crafting. Uh, We've taken way too long just jibber jabbing about crafting and I have some like pressing crafts to get to. But if crafting isn't your thing, there are some other things that you can celebrate. Today, we're actually recording this on March the 5th, which happens to be Cheese Doodle Day. And cheese doodles are kind of like cheesies. And if you haven't seen a video of a South Pole Explorer seeing some cheese doodles that he had packed, it is the expression of purest joy. And I will link it below because it is one of the greatest things. And I think that we should, more of us should celebrate Cheese Doodle Day. Monday, March 8th is also International Women's Day, uh, so be extra nice to all of the important ladies in your life. And also, as a monthly celebration, March is also National Bed Month, so I think that we should do some crafting from bed just to bring this all full circle and really embrace all of the things that March has to offer. So some famous births for, let's say, like March 5th to the 7th, uh, since that's when we're recording and it is March. Um, We have Mamafuku Ando, and he invented instant ramen noodles. So like created a cup of noodles and top ramen. He sustained generations of students that only are allowed to have a kettle and a hot plate. This is important. Um, Michelangelo, (laughs) the best artist, not the best Ninja Turtle. But, you know. That's controversial. We are going to have to dig into your art history roots, but uh, saying he's the best artist. I mean, he is the best Renaissance artist. No one's gonna argue. No one's gonna argue with me. So, but I think the controversial part is the Ninja Turtle comment, not the artist part. If I'm being honest, <laughs> but you know, Meta, David, Sistine Ceiling, people love him. Um, Shaq, who is a basketball player, <laughs> sports go sports. 
sports, 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 and he's in movies because uh, I just found the one. Jenna Fisher, uh, Pam from The Office. We're on March 7th now. Um, yeah, Pam Beasley. John oh, Herschel, March 7th. Also, he named the seven moons of Saturn and four moons of Uranus. <laughs> um, yeah, and we'll stop there. No point in saying all the rest of them. They're too many. Yeah. Apparently, people are born in March, and they will continue to be born in March. That's great. Okay. And in March, the birth flower is daffodil. Beautiful. And aquamarine is their stone, semi-precious. And they have Pisces and Aries. So right now it's Pisces season, which is uh, a watery sign for kind and thoughtful spiritual individuals, incorrigible romantics, the internet tells me. Yes. And we'll wait till later in the month when Aries, a fire sign, comes into play for their short-tempered, touchy moodiness, but zealous bold outgoing aries so lots of exciting lots of exciting zodiac things to look forward to in march um and maybe you can craft something for your daffodils little daffodil hats that would be very cute (laughs) or daffodils or something with daffodils on it (laughs) that is also an option or something with shack on it Lots of options. Or Pam Beasley. Or the moons of Uranus. Oh, gosh. We've created so many great craft ideas. We we have to get going immediately and make. Yeah, I gotta some. go. I gotta, can't talk gotta, right now. Gotta, get, go. gotta get crafts. Gotta go. Gotta go row. <laughs> okay, bye, Lisa. Okay, bye. These are the days, my friends. These are the days.